Hey there, everyone. Welcome back to Debating Metal. It's me, Kenneth Dean, the Dean of Metal, with my co-host, Chris Kay. It's that time of the week again where you sit back, relax, and settle in for another exciting episode of Debating Metal. This week, there's no head-to-head. There's no greatest hits, no genre topic. This week, we're going back and revisiting a topic we spoke about all the way back on episode six and picking up where we left off with Artists Living Off Their Legacy Part 2. That's right. Last year, in the earliest days of our podcast, we looked at a few artists who left or were booted from a band for one reason or another. These guys, for better or worse, continued to use their previous band as a way to promote their current musical career. We've got a new list of artists this time, but we're also going to go back and take a look at last time's crop to see where they are with their careers a year later. We've also got some more rusty metal and a new freshly forged. Stick around until the end, and we'll also give you our Big Force Gid Row songs. As most of you know, Rusty Metal is my pick of a classic metal album that you may or may not know, but should be listened to again. And Chris has a new Freshly Forged where he picks a new release that he thinks you should give a listen. So if you want to know what we picked or want to listen to any of our other episodes, download us on your favorite podcast platform and click subscribe so you can get our newest episode every week. We also want to interact with you guys and read your opinions, so if you like what we had to say or just want to rip us a new one, send us an email to debatingmetal at gmail.com or DM us on our Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter pages. Pretty soon we'll also be uploading our episodes to YouTube, so keep a lookout for that. And while you're on our social media, be sure to check out Kenneth Dean with Rusty Metal Plus, where he gives you more details about his Rusty Metal pick. So, that being said, what is your Rusty Metal pick this week? All right, this week's Rusty Metal pick is going to be Wasp with their debut release, Wasp. came out in 1984. It was released on Capitol Records. It was produced by Blackie Lawless and Mike Varney, and it was recorded at the record plant in L.A., California. All right, so this is Wasp's first full-length album. There was obviously some controversy and I, don't, I say obviously, like like everybody I'm talking to was, was back there in 1984. Back in 1984, 83, there was controversy with one of the songs that uh, was supposed to appear on the album, but it was actually um, pulled by the record company. Uh, the song was called Animal, Fuck Like a Beast. It was out there as a single, but the band released it independently because the Capitol Records didn't want anything to do with it. They didn't want to have their name attached to it. And so it became a, a very sought-after, you know, uh, single, an import, because uh, it was released by Music for Nations. And so it was removed from the album. It was not put on there because the uh, the PMRC, which had just begun uh, like that year or the year before, it was putting a lot of pressure uh, on the record companies not to put out certain songs, and they were listed as the, one of the Filthy 15 songs. And, you know, for good reason. I can understand that. I mean, the title says it all, and the lyrics inside the song are not much better, if <laughs> if you uh, ask my opinion. But it's a really cool song. I actually like the song. So much so, I was one of those people that were looking for that single, and I ended up finding it on a on a 12-inch. Uh, it's gold. It's like it's like and it's not even like a gold like a gold record it's like they took the the vinyl and they literally glued a piece of gold on it before they they you know pressed it and it's just so it's weird looking it almost looks like it's paper gold on on there but anyway that's my copy um the album itself includes other songs like I want to be somebody love machine and the flame got some really good songs on it um 
The song Animal was reinstated on the 1998 reissue of the album. And the song I Want to Be Somebody was the second single that was released. And it was also uh, accompanied by a video. And the video became so popular on MTV and VH1 that VH1 put it on their list of the top 100 hard rock songs of all time. So that's pretty cool. And several songs on the album have been covered by some famous bands over the years, including Fozzie, Sentence, Gates of Ishtar, and Children of Bottom. And side one, so if you listen to the album, you have a, a side one has a very distinctive sound and is very American sounding. The songs sound very American. Uh, it's it's you know I guess I would say more blues oriented, whereas side two is very European sounding. So there's a, there's a different kind of structure to the songs. Um, you know, songs on side one are, are just a little bit looser, a little bit more, um, it goes back to the same thing I said, blues, there's a blues base to it, not necessarily blues songs, but you know, rock and roll in general is all blues based. So that's where, um, that side one sounds like where side two, completely different structure, different kind of attitude on the songs. And so it's, it's pretty cool that you get those two distinctive different sounds. And finally, on the vinyl itself, whoever had, whoever may have an original copy back that was released in 1984, the the little blank space where you get all the little details and the and the the serial number of the album right next to the label, Wasp put what many consider to be the uh, the the definition of their acronym to their name. They put down "We Are Sexual Perverts" on side one, so it's quite interesting. A lot of people said, "Oh, that's that's what WASP means." It may or may not necessarily mean that, but they put that on the record, and it, it's it's an interesting little tidbit. It the the CD is still available. It's still streamable for those of you who consume your music that way. So I say give give it a listen. It's a really good album. Yeah, I'm a huge fan of that album, honestly. Yeah, it's a great um, album. The first few Wasp albums are, are definitely my favorites, but they're just generally good albums. All right, so for my Freshly Forged pick this week, I don't have a ton of information on it, honestly, but um, on a whim, I kind of listened to it and actually really enjoyed it. I've listened to the last couple releases that uh, this artist has done uh, in the same series. And, you know, they're, it's, they're, they're just a lot of fun. And if you want to hear a guy playing um, guitar and just shredding and, you know, just enjoying what he's doing, and that's the best way I can say it, then definitely check out Marty Friedman with his new release, Tokyo Jukebox 3. Uh, what he's done is he takes some... Japanese pop songs and he's covered them with shredding and that's the best I can say um, <laughs> he's done three of these now and each of them like I said they just takes some of his favorite Japanese pop songs and turns them into metal and it's it's actually really awesome um, you may you don't have to know the, the music to enjoy it because it's all instrumental and um, I think you can probably find something to like it. And even if you're not familiar with Japanese pop, um, it is it is a lot coming from uh, American heavy metal um, in, a, in a lot of their concepts. So there is a, a vibe with that. Uh, you know, and I say American as well as as European um, there. So the influences are there and you can kind of see how it's gone back. And the reason also I bring up Marty Friedman is there are still people that don't know what where Marty Friedman has been uh, since he he left 
America, basically. Since he left Megadeth, he went off and, and, and decided to go live in Japan. He's been doing a lot of stuff over there. And he, he has regular releases over in Japan that are not typically coming to the U.S. And now in the streaming age, it's different. You know, we're, we can get these um, at least through streaming um, whereas in the past it was imports and it was harder to, to come across this music. I can easily go on Google Music or, or I guess YouTube Music now or iTunes or something like that and listen to this music. So it, it's it's a little bit different perspective. It's it's something kind of out of the ordinary, you know, not your typical heavy metal release. But I think it's definitely worth checking out. And, um, I mean, the guy is still a phenomenal guitarist amazing musician i saw him on herman lee's podcast on twitch the other day and it was just such a joy to listen to them you know play back and forth um the guy has not lost a step he's only gotten better over the years cool what's with the album cover no clue uh he he looks like a samurai geisha holding a guitar that's that's the best description i can give it it's very interesting cover um but, you know, he's fully indulged himself into Japanese culture. That's cool. I mean, you know, a lot of people have done that who move to Japan for one reason or another. And and they really, really, uh, truly adopt the lifestyle out there. So that's that's pretty cool. Good for him. Um, I do know that, you know, he was they, they were going to try to get him back in Megadeth at some point. But it just fell through. And I think Megadeth is better for it. Instead of rehashing your past, you just got to keep moving forward. And that's mm-hmm. that's the that was the best thing. And and that was kind of what he ended up taking out of it all too. You know, he's like he didn't want to do the same thing. He wanted to do it a little different, but um, it just didn't work out. So whatever, it worked out better for both for for both people, I guess you could say. Yeah, and and, and I did want to mention something. Uh, I mentioned that. Marty Friedman was on Herman Lee's podcast or, or his uh, stream the other day, and the reason for that he so Herman Lee has as musicians come on that he plays with, but in the last month he had all these different musicians on to raise money for Jason Becker, who has it, ALS is as. I think a lot of you listeners would know Jason Becker was an amazing musician, young guy that was rising star in the business. A lot of people uh, note him as an influence, uh, but he early on in his career got uh, ALS and he can no longer move. He's, he's paralyzed in basically everywhere, but his eyes and he uses his eyes to write music He's an amazing musician, and it, it was such a worthy cause to see all these guys come on and talk about Jason, their experiences with him, or or just the influence that he had on them, and it was a really nice experience. So if you're a subscriber to, and I'm, I'm, I'm not paid by Herman Lee or anything like that, but if you're a subscriber to his, his, his Twitch account, you can watch all those videos, and you get the, the opportunity uh, to see some really cool guys. Um, Rusty Cooley, a Houston musician, was on there a couple times. Um, I can't, I can't tell you how many. I'm, I'm blanking out a little bit on who all was on there, uh, but I, I watched basically the whole month and just saw so many musicians, um, you know, showing off their true talent, but also paying respect to a really great musician whose career was cut short. That's 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 such a cool thing. And the funny thing, uh, J, um, Jason Becker obviously is the one. Uh, that, that has ALS, but Marty Friedman and Jason were together in a band called Cacophony. 
Um, mm-hmm. And that was some killer shredding back in the day when when people just wanted to hear shredding and they didn't really care about the metal vocals or anything like that. That was some really cool metal that was just straight up guitar work. And that is it's some absolutely great stuff. So if you get a chance to listen to that, I'm pretty sure it's available on Spotify. Give it a listen. That yeah, is, both both albums are. Yeah, so, uh, yeah this give speed, that a listen. Metal Symphony and Go Off, I believe, are both on there. Right. Mm-hmm. Give that a listen. It is some really cool-ass stuff. So... All right, we are here to talk about artists living off their legacy. You know, so the premise is you got a band, um, you've been together for however many years, all of a sudden you get fired or you decide you want, the artist decides they want to leave, become a solo artist, and for one thing or another, they kind of fall off the map for a little bit, and when they decide to revive their career, they're using their previous band as a way to jumpstart that. Now, in a lot of cases, there's nothing wrong with that. I, I don't really have a problem with that. But in certain cases, with certain artists that have, when I when we say dropped off the radar, uh, they've been gone for 20, 30 years. In some cases, a couple artists for almost 40. And then they come back and they say, oh, well, I'm going to, you know, make this brand new album and I'm going to call it something that's associated with their former band. And and even in some cases, we're going to talk about it, an album cover that's associated with the former band that they had nothing to do with. And so we're going to basically pick on them, good and bad. Um, it's not just going to be something where we're going to just, you know, negatively criticize these artists. Um, it, there's going to be some positive on this in this episode too. Um, but it's it's just one of these things where we're going to sit there, either poke fun at them for doing that, kind of sit there and trying to give them a head slap and say, hey, man, come on, get get back to reality. Or we're going to actually compliment them and and say, hey, good job, because that's the right way to do it type of thing. So we're going to revisit a few bands right now that we talked about the first time to kind of see where they're at one year later when we talked about them back in February of last year. Um. What's the first band you got, Chris? Um, so one I wanted to mention and not go over too much was, um, so there's Joe Lynn Turner we talked about last year. And um, recently he's he's been in metal news because he had a band that was created, kind of manufactured for him to show off his talent, and that was called Sunstorm. Uh, a lot, I would imagine a lot of U.S. fans are probably not too familiar with Sunstorm unless they're just a big Joe Lynn Turner fan. Uh, but I know it's it's been they've been more of a worldwide band, I guess. Um, but recently, what's interesting is he decided to leave Sunstorm because he was going to focus on his, you know, a little bit different type of music, his solo stuff. And the the label that owns the band uh, decided to replace him with Ronnie Romero. Now, he wasn't directly replaced by Ronnie Romero in in uh, Rainbow. There was Doogie White before that, but Ronnie Romero is the current singer for Rainbow. So it's kind of interesting that they would pick somebody that, you know, would directly follow, um, you know, in the same footprints with, you know, in the career. And it kind of makes sense because they do have similar singing abilities. They don't sound the same. You know, their voices aren't exactly the same, but they have the same range. They have the same abilities. They have the same kind of music that they play. So it, it kind of makes sense, but it's also kind of 
funny and I, I think it I mean from everything that I've read it really upset Joe and Turner yeah I, I read the same things that you did the funny thing about it the ironic part about the whole thing is that if you if you look at the 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 kind of the history a little bit of what we talked about last year so if you go back to episode six you'll 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 hear what we had to say about Joe Lynn Turner last year the funny thing about that all is is that he wanted to put together a ra- you know a rainbow reunion tour with Richie because Richie you know was getting the itch again to play some rock and he wanted to do a thing where he wanted to bring as many of the original artists that played with with Rainbow and when I say that like that it's because Richie had put there was not a single album that Richie put out that had the same lineup so there was lots of different keyboardists a few different bassists um, several different drummers um Obviously, a couple of different singers over the years, three or four, actually, like four or five, actually. But the funny thing about that was, is that while this was all happening, Richie was completely ignoring Joe and put together his own rainbow band, um, which included some of the players from his uh, Candace Knight uh, band. Or, or uh, yeah, uh, what was it? Uh, what's it? Richie Blackmore's Knight. Richie Blackmore's uh, Knight, uh, which is with his wife, Candace. And so it had some of the musicians from, from that band, but it, then he brought in this guy, Ronnie Romero, to, to be the singer for Rainbow. So in, in, in effect, Ronnie has replaced Joe twice. <laughs> and that, that's, yeah, that's, the iron, yeah. that's the ironic thing. It's pretty funny about it. Um, but, you know, Joe, you know, he's going to do his own thing and he's going he's gonna to go about his business. However, he's just going to complain about it along the way. Well, what's also funny is that it, Ronnie Romero has come out saying that he was a huge Joe Lynn Turner fan. So I imagine he's hurt a little bit <laughs> by the experience. So. Yeah, it's it's one of those weird things. And, you know, the guy the guy just, you know, he wants to have a, a career in the music business. And, and right now, this is the way to have it. you got to have to join three or four or five or six different bands. You get asked to do a project, and they're going to pay you a certain amount of money. Not a lot exactly. of times you're going to turn it down. So Exactly. All right, so the next band that we are going to revisit real quick is um, Rat and Bobby Blotzer. Um, Bobby, basically, the last time we talked about him was uh, lost a lawsuit trying to keep the Rat name. And so now, after a year of basically complete silence from Bobby's camp, um, there's still nothing that's come out of Bobby's camp. But Stephen Piercy actually had a solo show uh, recently. Uh, I don't know if it was a stream show or a full-blown show, but he invited Bobby Blotzer to play with him. And so there, all of a sudden, Bobby Blotzer appeared after about a year, year and a half of of not being in the headlines at all. And I would say good for them because, you know, Stephen Stephen basically said, you know, I don't want to hold ill will. This guy is, you know, someone that I've dealt with or, or I've been a brother with for the last 40 years. And, you know, I, I don't hold any ill will towards them. They kind of work their things out on the backside and he came out and played with them. So that's pretty cool. I, I, I think that was pretty neat. Yeah. I, I mean, I'm not a huge rap fan and I've never professed to be, um, but it is always interesting to me. I like to read about bands, histories and stuff like that. And, and uh, when you see a band that, these guys have gotten along for so long or they've been, you know, they've been brothers in, in music together. It's always sad to see them, you know, at odds, especially over money. 
Um, but that's what it comes down to a lot of times. And we, you know, we all know this, but it's really nice to see them kind of get past it and just, you know, move on together, which is cool. So, you know, to rat fans, it's pretty awesome that, uh, you know, they, they're back together and, and, uh, you know, it's, it's nice for the fans. That's the way I look at it to get past your problems because when you go to see a show, and and we're all the same. We want to see the guys that we know as the band. It's weird to go to a, to a concert and there's one guy and he's the drummer and then there's a bunch of other guys, you know. And sometimes that's cool because you've seen the evolution over time, but it, a lot of times it's a, it's a reunion and it's two guys out of the five, you know. Mm-hmm. So it's still cool to see a band like this, you know, reunite and get past those problems. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm going to mention this one real quick. Uh, Neil Turbin, he was the original singer of uh, of Anthrax, and he has been kind of out of the news for the most part. You know, he's done a few things here or there, but, um, I mean, you can go back to the last episode to fuck, fi- to fuck. Wow. <coughs> you can go back to the last episode to find out more about what he's been doing. Uh, but interestingly enough, he's actually been noted as one of the uh, artists that will be appearing in some clips for Anthrax 40th anniversary. They're on their social media. They're going to be posting a bunch of videos, which will have uh, mem- former members of the band. Um, it'll have uh, some artists that they they famously kind of worked with, like Chuck D. I believe is appearing in one. So you got um, some interesting stuff there. But I thought his name appearing on there was kind of interesting because of his history with the band. So um, definitely check that out. I'll be I'll be kind of watching those videos as I'm pretty interested in, you know, seeing some of that stuff. And then I also wanted to, to mention Paul Diano. Um, Paul Diano, as as almost all of you know, it was the original singer. I, I, I don't I'm going to say that. <laughs> because Iron Maiden, you know, we love Iron Maiden here. Um, Paul Diano was the original singer for uh, Iron Maiden a- as far as studio releases. And uh, he did the first two albums. <clears throat> Most of his career, he lived off of doing stuff that was related to Iron Maiden after after leaving the band. He's had some ups and downs with them, some, you know, good stuff good uh times he's talked about them in a positive light and then many other times where he's talked about them in a very negative light um but recently he has decided to retire from touring he's had some health problems uh, it just in general uh I, in 2017 he was he was performing in a wheelchair so i haven't really seen much uh past that um but he actually even has a crowdfunding event right now for some uh, knee surgery that he's needed for a long time so uh, that's kind of where he's at now is that he's retired uh, for the most part I, I I don't see him kind of getting back into the game uh, knowing that he has so many health problems uh, but if you're a big fan and want to help him out then you know I'm there is a crowdfunding event for him right now yeah I believe um, this was this crowdfunding thing was supposed to happen last year before the pandemic hit, and he was supposed to do like one last gig, and that got postponed indefinitely. Yes, and the one last gig was supposed to include Dennis Stratton and I believe one other former member of Iron Maiden. Um, so it was supposed to be a really cool event, uh, but I think now I don't know if there's a date, but I do know they have the crowdfunding thing going on uh, to try and 
set this thing up. So that that should be pretty cool. All right. Um, I'm going to talk about real quick here as best I can. L.A. Guns. The last time that we spoke about L.A. Guns, um, Stephen Riley had been fired from the band, and he uh, was basically, you know, pushed aside for the reunion between Phil Lewis and Tracy Guns in the original quote unquote Tracy. Uh, excuse me, in the original quote unquote L.A. Guns, um, although. Kelly Nichols is not part of the band in terms of bass player, and Stephen Riley is obviously not there anymore. That's not the original, but it's the two main guys. It's the voice and the guitar player, the guy who wrote most of the songs and the guy who sang most of the songs. Um, Stephen, after some time last year, was kind of you know determined to continue on uh, because he felt the L.A. Guns was his. They ended up in a lawsuit. They created two different bands, and now the, the final result of the, the lawsuit is that much like all these other bands that, that, that kind of fight each other, you have one guy who takes the name and run and, and gets awarded that. That's Tracy Guns. He gets his name back, basically, or his named band, L.A. Guns. And Stephen Riley can now perform as Stephen Riley's L.A. Guns. Um, it's actually officially Riley's Oh, right. I'm sorry. Riley's L.A. Guns. You are correct. And quite honestly, that's a cover band. You know, where Tracy Guns, at least you got Tracy Guns, the guitar player, and Phil Lewis, the singer. But uh, Riley's LA Guns, it's a cover band. Um, I just, and I understand where, where, where Steven's coming from to some point because he was associated with all those songs, with all those albums, but he was a drummer. And I, I'm not taking anything away from drummers out there because there are some really talented drummers, but. Unless you're Lars Ulrich, which has a very distinctive sound from Metallica, it's hard to tell who plays drums on what song, on what band, and what album. It's just that's just the way it is. Um, so Stephen Riley, you know, but even then Lars couldn't have like met, Lars's Metallica. Oh no, there's know? no way. Like it's just that's just one of those instruments. Like when you're in the rhythm section, it's just not the same. They're, you're an integral part. You everything that you do can determine like if if scott travis wasn't on uh painkiller right it wouldn't be the same because that drum part is so important there but you couldn't have scott travis out there touring as judas priest it just doesn't make sense exactly and i don't think lars would ever want to do something like that but no 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 but the point is just it's just one of those scenarios right it, it doesn't even matter if you're one of the most famous drummers or the best drummers out there. It's just one thing that just doesn't really make a whole lot of sense. Exactly. You know, so um, anyway, Steven doing that, it's just kind of like a stretch, but that's what they came down to. And that's where we're, that's where we're at. Um, All right. So, so last but not least, we are going to talk about quiet riot. And so we're going to revisit them. And then we're also going to update them, uh, update you as to where they're at now. All right, so Quiet Riot was one of those bands that I've, I really enjoyed talking about last time because they had so much fluctuation in their membership over the years. I mean, at one point, um, you had the original lineup, which was, was um, <clears throat> the, I, I guess I would call it like the Mark I version that was only in Japan. And then they, they would later reestablish themselves uh, with metal, or Metal Health. And Metal Health was the classic lineup that everybody knows of, of Quiet Riot. You know, most people don't even know about the, the Japanese uh, era time period, you know, like that that version of the band. And the only connection between, um, you know, 
now and and the metal health lineup would be Chuck Wright, who's still with the band. Now, Chuck Wright did not appear as a member of the band when he was in uh, or when he played on metal health. He was he was actually just bass guitar on one track. And then on Critical Condition, he sang backup vocals. So he was a he was a a friend of the band, but he wasn't in the band officially. So going back to the the most classic, the most important album of their career, there are no current members of the band, uh, and that's based on the fact that that Frankie Benali passed away uh, last year. So we we have mentioned that in in some of our pre- previous episodes, we talked about his health issues. He dealt with. Yeah. Okay. That's right. He dealt with pancreatic cancer. And so, you know, he was that kind of that hinge pin, that last piece that was kind of holding on to the band. Well, now they've decided to continue on without him, which was also something that he wished. So there's, there's kind of this gray area of, of, you know, they, they want to continue on. They want to continue the music of quiet, right? But is it really quiet, right? You know, yes, you have Chuck Wright who played bass on one track of their biggest album. He was a guy that his history with the band was spotty as well. He only played with them from 1985 to 1987, 1994 to 1997, 2004 to 2006, 2006 to 2007. And then he, when he had joined the band again in 2010, he played for the remainder of their, their time period. So it's not like he's been there a constant throughout their career either. So, it's interesting. Chuck Wright a, is a, is an interesting character in all this, um, because yeah, he 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 played on that one song on Metal Health, but he wasn't part of the band. He he did backup vocals for Condition Critical, but he wasn't part of the band. He then joins the band as an official bassist on QR three, and that uh, not uh, yeah on QR three when Rudy Sarzo mm-hmm. left, um, and then. And he stayed with the band uh, after they fired Kevin Dubrow and they brought in Paul Shortino for the um, Quiet Riot self-titled album that came out um, after Cure 3. Uh, and that band basically went nowhere and it kind of dissolved at that point. And that's why there's so many starts and stops with Quiet Riot. Um, so Chuck, Chuck is a, is, he's been associated with the band since the mental health era. And in that being said, he was a very close friend of Frankie Benali's and I get that. Um, and I get the final wish type of thing with Frankie, you know, hey, you know, continue to ban. But the bottom line is, is that this, there's no one associated with the band vocally. Um, there's no one associated with band drum wise or guitar wise, you know, and it's just really a weird situation. You have the bass player who happened to play one song on Metal Health and to me that it's it's one of these let let's let the band rest you know yeah i mean think about it like kevin dubrow the the biggest link between the version 1 and version 2 of of uh quite right you know from the japanese era to uh to uh metal health kevin dubrow the linking factor passed away in 2007 so they've had a bunch of singers since that point and it's gone from uh you know I think three different singers or two different singers on, on albums that have been released. And I think six different singers in that time. Uh, and that's just from 2010 on, um, you know, you had Chuck Wright and, uh, you had, uh, sorry, what's his name? Alex Grossi. Yeah, Alex. 
and Frankie Benali. They, they were a linking factor. That makes sense. And Frankie Benali's been around since Mental Health. I mean, he left the band briefly, but, you know, he was on every album from that point, or point on. And so that makes sense for the band to be, you know, in, in that structure. That makes sense. Um, but it just... I don't know. It's just one of those things like when you when you go see them now, it just it doesn't feel like quite right. I mean, to to me, it it would can't. Yeah, it would feel like you're watching a cover band with a a guest basis that happens to be, oh, look, this is the guy he played on Metal Health or this is the guy who played on QR, you know, QR three. So, you know, to me, it's just like you're, you're just watching people cover the songs because the other three mm-hmm. are that's what they're doing they're covering the song yeah, they've only been in the band since the 2000s and some of most of them since recently right so yeah. you know it, yeah. it, it, it i personally think that you should just let the band rest you know i i understand you know led zeppelin has done quote-unquote reunions over the years and they've used a different drummer but for the most part it's the other three bands you know but yeah but i mean excuse me the other three members but you know at least in essence they let the band lie because they have these big giant intervals where they don't do anything, you know. And yeah, but at, at the end of the day, like you said, it's the other three members of the band. It's not. It's not just you know, right. The saxophone player that played on one song or something. like I that. I mean, even yeah. when Gene Simmons, yeah, <laughs> Gene Simmons does solo stuff. He plays Kiss stuff, right? But it's Gene Simmons mm-hmm. solo, and I don't think that Gene would ever go out by himself without Paul and be and be Kiss. And I don't think Paul would go out without Gene and be kissed. Yeah, that you know, because that's I think that's the limitation. Like they they're willing to do pretty much anything, <laughs> anything for money. But I think that you're you're 100 right there. To me, that's probably the line that they don't cross. Right. So anyway, all right. So that it's enough about Quiet Riot, and you know, like I said, we should just let them lie, <laughs> but. One band that just refuses to go away, and one artist that's just kicking and screaming, no pun intended, or actually, you know what, pun fully intended, is Sebastian Bach and Skid Row. Sebastian Bach was fired from Skid Row in 1996. Um, He was their singer uh, since 87 up to 96. Um, And the whole thing, the whole dynamic between uh, Sebastian and Skid Row was... He came in after they had written most of the songs for their debut album, replaced their singer that they had, and then basically hit it big. And they recorded a second and a third album, and then shit went sideways with the band. Um, Each album progressively got, I I don't even want to say harder, but they got different. And things began to change in the dynamic of the band. Sebastian leaves and he does his own thing. Okay. And for the most part, he's released his own albums. He's tried to, to make a career as a solo artist. But when you go and listen to his concerts or you go to see him in concert, a majority of the concert is his Skid Row stuff, mostly from the first album with a couple of songs uh, sprinkled in from the second and third album. Um, I, I, don't, I don't know how to feel about that per se because quite honestly, there's a part of me that says this guy is okay. It should be okay for him to do that. But in, when you look at the basic thing about it is the songs that he's singing from the first album 
have technically nothing to do with him other than the fact that he sang on the album, which is a big thing, but he didn't write the songs. So it's not like a Jeff Tate thing where Jeff Tate was the singer and the, the, the main songwriter for a lot of the Queensryche songs. Sebastian barely wrote any music with, with Skid Row. I mean, what do you think about it? I mean, obviously the iconic sound is, is Skid Row with Sebastian Bach. You know, I for me, I don't enjoy listening to Skid Row without him. But at the by the same token, I don't really like Sebastian Bach's solo stuff as much as I liked him with Skid Row. And it's such an unfortunate thing that, you know, they don't get along and they never will get along. And if they do, it's going to blow my mind. It's it's another one of those Guns N' Roses, you know, scenarios. Oh, um, but at least but, at least Guns N' Roses, they they literally did rekindle their friendship yes that's what i'm saying if it ever does turn around because we there was the uh you know not in this lifetime tour and there's there was a reason why we thought that that was not in this lifetime because i i personally never thought they would get back together um so it is interesting that that's happened but i don't see skid row like even to a higher level i don't see skid row getting back together at least, you know, and that's funny to say that because Skid Row is still an active band and they've been talking about releasing new music. They have an, a, a chapter three of their United World Rebellion going to come out with their current singer. So they are still an active band. But but I think most fans still think like, oh, Skid Row getting back together, meaning with Sebastian Bach, because they were so good when they were together. But to, to go into what you were saying I I don't know. I I think Sebastian has every right to sing those songs. Um, I don't. I think it's kind of odd to do full tours of uh, you know like he did a full tour in 2019 supporting Skid Row, the album. Um, I mean that is a big part of his musical career, so I totally get that. But yeah, he didn't write the music, so there is that kind of gray area. Um, Slave to the Grind. I know he had more input on. Um, his dad even did the, the album art on that, that, uh, that album. So, um, I mean, there's, there's more of a connection there, uh, and both bands, uh, or both musicians, I guess. Um, so Skid Row and Sebastian Bach have both released, uh, news that they're going to be doing a 2021, if that happens, I guess, 2021 tour, uh, supporting Slave to the Grind. So, I think there's a pretty hefty gray area there, um, but I would say definitely both bands are living off their legacy. <laughs> you know, it's it, it's one of those things where I you know you can say well they still are Skid Row, but and yes they have the name, but is it really Skid Row? Is it really the same? No. Yeah, you know, in, uh, along those same lines, there are a couple other bands that are doing anniversary tours and they're playing the whole album from you know, whatever, whatever anniversary album they're doing. And in most cases, those bands, you know, it's, it's legit because that's the, you know, whether it's original singer, original guitar player, three quarters of the band, three fifths of the band, four fifths of the band, whatever it may be. In some, in some cases, the original band altogether, but Skid Row's case is, you know, you're missing the singer that made you famous. In Sebastian's mm-hmm. case, you're missing the band that wrote the songs that made you famous. So it's, it's a, it's definitely a weird dynamic. Um, in my opinion, 
Sebastian's doing it because he can get away with it as far as, you know, hey, you, you know, we all know who Sebastian Bach is because he he kept himself in the in the spotlight for many, many, many years, whether it was good or bad, you know, doing those reality shows or doing those reality band shows or whatever, you know, just keeping his face out there. And so he's doing it for more for money because I, I, I could tell you now, Sebastian probably pulls in more money than, than, than Skid Row does if, if they do a show. If they were playing the same venue... Sebastian's pulling in more money. I, I, I can almost guarantee that. Um, All I can say is that Skid Row with Sebastian Bach, I remember you. <laughs> All right. <laughs> with that said, uh, let's so, move on to the next guy. Next <laughs> so I want to talk about this guy because of something you just said. All right. And that's Jeff Tate. Uh, in his uh, Operation Mind Crime uh, kind of spinoff of Queensryche. We don't have to go over this for a long time, but you mentioned bands and musicians that are doing anniversary shows. And that's that's kind of become a big thing. A lot of these bands have become 30, 40 years old. It depends on, you know, when. But, but Jeff Tate is one of those guys that I, I, I kind of thought about this while you were talking about it because – we went to see Queensryche, and Queensryche is not doing anniversary shows. They are putting out new music. They are staying relevant in their own way, and they're putting out good music. And Jeff Tate is, you know, he does his, his own thing. He puts out some new music here or there. But he's, we were actually going to go see a show last year uh, that we were not able to, and I think is still rescheduled for this year. Um, but that was to see Jeff Tate to uh live full concert of uh which which album I believe was it was it? supposed to be Empire. It was Empire, wasn't it? Yeah. So we were going to go see him do Empire. So this is a guy that's no longer in the band and he has every right to play the music. That's that's not a problem, but he's doing anniversary shows of Queensryche music whereas Queensryche is putting out brand new relevant music. It is Definitely a different mindset with 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 Queensryche and, and Jeff Tate. Um, Queensryche, you know, they did everything in their power to reestablish the name Queensryche because Jeff had put it so low on the totem pole. I mean, Queensryche had come to Houston, I believe, during the time that they were in the lawsuit and and just after it got settled. I believe Queensryche had come to Houston five times in three years. That's how much they were trying to reestablish their name. <clears throat> so much so that they came to the same exact venue, Jeff as Queensryche and Queensryche as Queensryche. They came to um, the same venue that, uh, that that's on, on a street that's not, not too far from where we live. And... I believe Jeff drew more than the than, than Queensryche because they still hadn't come out with that with their album yet, um, and it was one of those things where Jeff was trying to bury the band, the bitterness you know, and the lawsuit and stuff like that was really really high at that point, but the band just kept coming back and kept coming back and kept coming back. When I saw them play at the arena here in Houston, I mean, maybe maybe two hundred and fifty people. In a venue that that held a thousand, maybe fifteen hundred, you know, and so mm-hmm. it, it was it was pretty r- tough to see them. I was ecstatic because 
I was in, you know, fifth row or something like that. Or, or and and I get to I get to see them really close. Now it's great for me. I don't mind club shows, but just to see how far they had gone down. Now since then, they basically become a a uh, a I wouldn't even say a nightclub. Like a um, what do we call? It's a club show, the 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 House of Blues, but it's bigger than your average club. So that's the kind of the kind of level they're at now. The House of Blues. Yeah, it's it's it holds a good audience. Yeah, and, and they're and a festival band too. So yeah. So yeah, Jeff 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 Tate then doing his own thing. He was also coming to the House of Blues, so they were both playing the same venue, and then he was going to do an anniversary tour because, quite quite honestly, if he wants to sell tickets, he's got to do that. Because he's not going to get by and saying, oh, this is Jeff's solo album tour. Because his solo stuff is just not not up to par. You know? And, yeah. And so... Queensryche, yeah. Queensryche did exactly that. Like, they did reestablish themselves. They're not as big as they once were. And that's fine. They're happy doing what they're doing. Which is, to me, is very important. You know, as, I would rather see a musician, you know, enjoying themselves and doing something that they're happy with, then, you know, go see them and they're miserable and not, and not having fun either, you know? So there's, there's, there's a balance to be struck there and they're putting out good music. And that's why we keep bringing them up too, is, is to make sure that people know, you know, they're, they are putting out good new music. Absolutely. I love their stuff. I mean, it's been, I mean, three albums and they're working on their fourth now. So it's, it's going to be really cool. I, I, I just like the fact that they've, reestablish themselves the way they have i mean <clears throat> they've completely adopted and not adopted because they've, they've uh embraced the prog rock side of themselves and they mm-hmm. i don't think they ever kind of turned away from it but they turned away from the hard rock portion of it the metal you know being a progressive metal band they turned away from the metal part of it and it just became progressive for the sake of being progressive and I, you know, to go back and reestablish, hey, we're a metal band. This is the song, the music we used to play. And now this is the new music that we play that's very similar to the old stuff in a way. The, or the harder old stuff. Come see us. Check it out. They've done that. They've really solidified themselves. And it's, they've done a great job. Yes. All right. One, one guy I want to talk about. Um, from this point forward... I think the criticism is gonna is gonna die down a little bit on the on the artists that we talk about because a lot of these artists are establishing or have tried to establish themselves as solo artists, but yet there's there's another side of the industry that are kind of keep pulling them back. Um, the first person that I'm going to talk about when, with in this particular case is Tom Kiefer. Uh, Tom Kiefer being the former singer for Cinderella, um, he basically is and was Cinderella, even though there were four musicians with Tom, Eric Brittingham on bass, Fred Curry on drums, and Jeff Labar on guitar, um, Tom Kiefer wrote every song, except for a couple with uh, that he wrote with Eric. Every song on, on Cinderella's f- four albums were written by Tom, and I believe it's a total of three or four tops that he co-wrote with Eric Brittingham. So, Tom Kiefer is Cinderella. And, you know, the band is not together because they have some personal issues. They have never explicitly said what the personal issues are, 
But through conversation here and there, an interview here and there, you can pick up on the fact that Tom is not completely happy with Jeff Labar and his substance abuse and some of the things that Jeff has done and said. Um, until that changes, you're never going to see Cinderella again. So Tom goes out and he create he has two solo albums, and he did uh, that's the way life or the way life goes in 2013, and he released one in 2019 called Rise. The way life goes, he basically toured the crap out of that, and he just toured and toured. I mean, so much so I saw him in 2019, I believe it was or 2018, and he was still on that tour, quote unquote. Um, but for the most part, the show, which consists of like I think 17 songs. I would say 14 of them are Cinderella songs. Those are his songs. Unlike Sebastian Bach, where they're not his songs, <laughs> Tom can take credit and say, hey, look, these are my songs. I get to play them whether I want or not. And he does a damn good job. He pretty much stays true to the original song. And it's a great show. I mean, Tom is an excellent performer. And I loved the show when I went to see him. So kudos to Tom for... Yes, he's living off his legacy, but he has every right to because that is his legacy, regardless whether it's Cinderella or him. Yeah, and his career's kind of been funky in a way because he he did have all those vocal cord issues and, and surgery from uh, vocal cord paralysis. So his career was interrupted at really the height of where it would have been. And I think even that last album that they released as Cinderella was probably negatively mentally affected by you know what he was going through physically so you know it's it's hard to say where things would have gone if he didn't have his health issues too so i think i think in that respect it's fair that he's continued on his career as tom Kiefer, and he still uses you know his material from cinderella in that respect exactly so you know like i said kudos to him because that is his legacy so he has every right all right, so another one we wanted to mention was uh, Udo Dirkschneider, who was the original singer for Accept. Um, he's one of these guys that it's funny. Everybody ex- associates him with Accept, at least in, in the U.S., where you know we, we're familiar with that aspect of his career. But he's done 17 albums with Udo. Um, mm-hmm. And Udo, five live albums on top of it. Five live albums, you know, and... And he only did 10 albums with Accept and two live albums. So his, yeah, his his early career and a lot of his important music comes from his time with Accept. But he has a huge following with his solo band. And he's also done other stuff outside of that where he's done some some solo music that's not associated with the UDO band. And uh, interestingly enough... Except who has established themselves with their new lineup that has put out some great albums. Uh, Peter Baltus recently left the band and is now playing some solo stuff with, with Udo. And St- Stefan Kaufman, who's from the classic lineup of the band. Um, and the reason why I think it's fair that he, he continues to play the Accept stuff and kind of lives a little bit off of that legacy is that he doesn't even want to most of the time he actually wanted to retire playing accept music but venues and promoters want him to play the music from accept and oftentimes we'll say like we're not going to have you unless you play the music so in that regard he's doing what he has to 
to keep his music career going and strong and, you know, not come off as a jerk by not doing what the promoters want and stuff like that. So in that regard, he's more than welcome to continue to play that. And he's the original voice. So, you know, those those are his songs as well as anybody else like Wolf Hoffman or anybody. So. I know they, they've had a rocky career. I know that Wolf Hoffman has reached out to him in times, and they've tried to be cordial and friends, et cetera, but I, there's, I, I don't think they're a band that are, a, you know, I don't think they're guys that are ever going to see eye to eye and be able to get along in that regard. And I think Accept is one of those bands that they're doing st- – really well they're they're playing some really strong music they just released a new album and it's awesome so i i wish all the luck to both of these the uh, camps and hope they continue to do their thing and and i don't think in my opinion udo is one of those guys living off of his legacy at least not by his own accord yeah, he's he's not trying to that's the weird thing about this whole dynamic with him he doesn't want to but mm-hmm. he's forced to to some degree and you know what that's it, it, fine. And and that's kind of what he said. You know, he, the promoter says, look, you know, you can't come over here and not play balls to the wall. Fine. I play balls to the wall, you know, and, and it's, it's one of those things where you, it's just one song, you know, but it was a, it got to a point for him. He's like, look, you know what? I'm going to do this particular tour. He named his band Dirk Schneider. And he said, I'm going to sing all except songs and I'm going to get it out of my system. The, I'm going to get it out of the fan system and then we can move on with Udo. And it didn't happen that way. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. you know, unfortunately, people still want to hear Balls to the Wall. They still want to hear Fast as a Shark. And they want to hear him singing it. And so, mm-hmm. you know, out of the kindness of his heart and the the the, the kindness of his wallet, he does that. <laughs> and <laughs> Because they told him, I'm not going to book you if you don't do that. So he's like, okay, fine, I'll do it you know what, he has every right to and and we're definitely not going to criticize him for living off his legacy because he doesn't want to. So that's that's mm-hmm. one of those weird dynamics, but it's great. You know what, you get both bands. Again, except very similar situation to what, to what Queensryche had. They had to reestablish themselves after being out of the game for so long. It, Queensryche wasn't necessarily out of the game, but they had to reestablish themselves. Both bands have done an excellent job of, of basically getting a singer that can pull off the old songs and being able to write new songs and both bands have done that. So kudos to accept kudos to Udo kudos to Queens, right? Kudos to no, not so much to Jeff. So, (laughs) (laughs) all right. So, um, we're going to talk now about Jack Russell and great white. Um, this is another one of those situations where you have two, uh, factions, two different bands with a very similar name and, you know, it's one of those things where you kind of, in this particular case, unlike the L.A. Guns case, Jack Russell's the voice of Great White. Those songs or lyrics were his, similar to what we were talking about with Tom Kiefer. Although Tom wrote the music, <clears throat> Jack was just the lyricist for the most part, while Mark Kendall and some of the other guys in the band, like Michael Lardy, wrote the music as well. And I, I think that's where there's a little bit of a different dynamic in that regards, but Jack was the voice and Jack, those were his lyrics. And in Jack's case, he never really wanted to leave great white per se. He had some physical issues. He fell down, you know, broke his back essentially um, between that 
and um, substance abuse and alcoholism, it took its toll on him and, and, and basically, you know, popping pills for painkillers. It took its toll on his body. He nearly died a couple of times. And so, you know, he finally was able to get himself healthy and sober, reestablish himself, put together a new band and went out there as Jack Russell's Great White. And both bands exist and Great White has continued on making new music without Jack Russell. They've have had two singers in that time. And Jack Russell has put together his solo band, if you want to call it that, or the Jack Russell Great White Band, and has toured relatively consistently until the, the pandemic as as Jack Russell's Great White. And I have no problem with either one of those two bands doing that. Although I wish they would just both get together and say, hey, listen, let's just be Great White. But, you know, that is what it is. I don't have a problem with yeah, it. Yeah, it's it's one of those situations that it's it's unfortunate that it's gotten this far, kind of like what I was saying where with um with Bobby Blotzer, you don't like to see a band fall apart in that regard because they've been essentially brothers for so long. And and uh especially the way that, that he was kind of eschewed from the band, you know, just basically said, you know, here's a letter, you're gone. Yeah, you know, that's that's tough. And so in that re- regard, I feel like, yeah, he has every right to continue on doing what he's doing. It just sucks for the fans. That's the big thing. It, and, and I know it sucks for them as people to to have to you know live through that and, and basically be disrespected in a way. So it's it sucks. But I, I you know, I'm, I'm more than happy with him continuing to to play and and now that he's healthy you know continue on with his music career yeah i mean it's, it's just a strange dynamic with you know i obviously we don't know what's going on in the background he doesn't understand why mark kendall is so mad at him um or, or never wants to play with him again you know obviously things have been said you know mark has taken offense to something that he said you know maybe he called his mama ugly who knows but you know it, obviously mark is is upset with with uh, jack Jack has tried to make amends, but you know it to to basically has fallen on deaf ears, and this is where we're at. So, but Jack, you know, the band did release a new album in 2017 called "He Saw It Coming." So at least he's trying to make new music, and he's always in the same vein as as the classic blues, hard rock based stuff that that he does with Great White. So at least we've got that, and and he at least he's still alive and kicking and doing some music. So uh, kudos for that. All right. So we're going to basically round this out here. We're going to take it down to this one last artist, or actually there's going to be two artists, but it's the same conversation. Um, we're going to talk about Al Atkins and KK Downing, both former members of Judas Priest. Um, separately, they, they, they have been a part of, they're not together now or anything like this. So we're, because this is a Judas Priest conversation, we're going to put them together in this conversation, but they're actually going to be two parts of the conversation. Um, what do you have to say about Al Atkins and KK Downing of formerly of Judas Priest? Well, Al Atkins, um, you know, he went on to have his own career. He, he left Judas Priest of his own accord because he wasn't making enough money and he had a family to feed. None of the other members of the band had a family and that's understandable. He made the choice and he left. 
And as far as I've seen, he's really never had a bad attitude towards the band. You know, a lot of people will hold that resentment. Um, but he's, I mean, he's expressed that he's gone to go see them live. Um, he went to see even KK's Priest recently, you know, just in support of, you know, people that have been his friends and, um, you know, he, you know, he said some things like he didn't really like Rob Halford's early voice, but, you know, once he got into, you know, he aged a little bit and his voice changed. He said nothing but positive things about, about Rob Halford. So I don't really have a problem with him per se in, in anything that he's done, except for he has one album that he has every right to record the songs that he wrote, which is, uh, um, what was it called? Uh, he did a lot of the songs off of Rock Victim and Roll. of Changes. He did Victim of Changes uh, that appears oh. on Sad Wings, but he he wrote Dreamer, he wrote Deceiver, he wrote a lot of those songs that are on Rockarola. Yeah, so he did he did the album called Victim of Changes in 1998, and you know the the weird thing to me is that they chose an album cover, and this this may have been something he didn't have anything to do with. Uh, because, you know, the record company wants to play off the fact that he was the original, you know, Judas Priest singer or whatever. Um, but they used a album cover that's reminiscent of Sin After Sin, which is an album he w- had nothing to do with whatsoever. Yeah, that, that Sin After Sin was two albums after, um, or three albums. No, that was actually, I'm sorry. Sin After Sin was the fourth album released by Judas Priest. And, you know, Al Atkins left Priest before they recorded their first album. So this is not mm-hmm. a situation where, you know, he got fired, you know, because they were a recording unit. They weren't even a recording band at the time. And so, you know, it's one of those situations where he left before they became famous, you know, sort of kind of like the fifth Beatle guy who yeah. left, you know, or uh, some of these people who just, you know, Right before they're on the brink of superstardom, they just decide, yeah, I can't do this anymore because I'm, you know, I'm not making money or it's just not worth it or whatever. And then, you know, they leave and the band goes on to become huge, you know. And even then, after the first two albums with Judas Priest, they weren't huge either. So that's another thing. Al Atkins, it's not like they... You know, he left and all of a sudden, boom, the next day they were, they were, you know, headlining arenas. They built this up from nothing. And mm-hmm. they were, they were piss broke during Rockarola. They were piss broke during Sad Wings. And that was part of the reason why they ended up leaving and breaking their contract to go to Columbia. But, you know, I, I don't hold any ill will. Al Atkins wrote those songs. He has every right to record them or re-record them. But... The whole thing with the album cover is just so weird. It's like, why would you do that? Like, I would have figured he would have like done a copy off of Sad Wings or a copy off of Rockarola and say, hey, you know, change it to Al Atkins, whatever. But to to do an album cover that had nothing to do with him whatsoever. I mean, not one single song has his name on it that that he wrote. You know, uh, that that's on Stained Class. Nothing. Or sin after excuse me, sin after sin. I mean, nothing on that album has anything to do with him. So that's just really weird. So that's the only thing that I could criticize him for trying to live off the legacy. You know, he's trying to squeeze whatever he can out of his little uh, minuscule priest fame that he has. But that one's just weird to me. Yeah, it's it's a little strange. Um, now, one other note is that he has 
actually express interest in participating in the 50th anniversary of Judas Priest. I don't know how seriously that's going to be taken, um, but, um, you know, it's just another piece of the puzzle there. Yeah, and one other tidbit about the Victim of Changes album that Atkins recorded, it did have former Judas Priest drummer Dave Holland on it. So that's the the other tie-in to Judas Priest for that. Yeah, and Dave Holland wasn't in Judas Priest when, when he was in Judas Priest either. Yes, yeah, so um, that's a strange connection. But they, you know, it's, it's English, you know, the, the British. Yeah, it's a small world over there, and, and it's well, a small world here in, in the music world too. Yeah. I mean, look, look at the, the overlap of some bands. But, um, you know, he, he built a friendship with Dave Holland, and they continued playing stuff together, and that's, you know, neither here nor there what happened with with dave holland um but that is that connection of of judas priest with them as well yep and so that brings us to the other connection in judas priest that's kk downing now this is a completely different story uh obviously kk being the well-established blonde-haired guitar player for judas priest for most of their entire career up until 2011 um KK, from all accounts that I under I, that I can read or I can kind of see through the lines, is still bitter about leaving Judas Priest, and there's a lot to it. There, you know, Rob has been very, very um, cordial as far as not trying to say anything negative about KK, um, but. Uh, it's it's just one of those things where you can tell one side is you know bitter the other side has moved on without him and he's he's basically the the jilted bride or or the divorced wife type of thing and that's the way i i see that dynamic going what's your opinion on that um i i know that kk's reached out to the band and tried to to you know, say he wanted to also be part of the 50th anniversary. Um, they had no interest. I think there's, I think there's a bad, um, well, there's, so there's definitely issues there. Mm-hmm. You know, there's something deeper than what we're seeing and they want nothing to do with him. And it's, it's very sad because he has a very long history with the band and he's an important part of the band. Yeah. So it, it sucks. Um, and I know that he's gone on to do his KK's priest thing. He said, you know, if, if you're not going to, you know, continue with, you know, if you're not going to give me a chance to play with you guys again and, and you know, us figure this stuff out, then I'm going to move on. So he's, he's you know, band together with Tim Ripper Owens, which is kind of funny, mm-hmm. and Les Binks. Which is so even funnier. Form, yeah, former members of Judas Priest, and they're continuing on. I'm fine with him playing, you know, he's, a, he's wrote a lot of the songs of the, you know, I, I don't think there's anything wrong with him playing Judas Priest music. Um, you know, he's not going to get to be part of the band and not going to, you know, get to be part of their 50th anniversary even, which I think is, I don't know what their issues are. And unless it's really, really bad, I think it's kind of bogus, but, um, well, my understanding from what I've been able to gather over the, over the, the period, the time period that he's been gone is that he has issues with Glenn Tipton and, you know, it, yeah. it's almost like 
the two, the two sides have, have taken sides. You know, the band is taking Glenn's side and KK is, is on an island all by himself. You know, he's, he, he, when KK left, he basically disparaged management. Um, he, 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 I've read recently that he, he considers the fact that he was the energy that was still keeping the band around when they, when they were touring, um, on the last on the last Which tour. Which is funny because they said everything about uh, when Richie Faulkner joined the band that was what revitalized them. Right. And you know. So it's it's it, just, basically it's a, he he feels like he was the energy and they felt like they had no energy. Right. So it's it's just kind of like, you know, if he if KK feels he had he, he was all the energy and they felt that they had none and that that Richie is the one who revitalized it. It kind of tells you Maybe he, maybe KK was the energy, but the energy coming off of KK was not necessarily the kind of energy that they wanted. It may have been a, just a, you know, a bad vibes thing. So who knows? Yeah. I mean, obviously he was, he was, he's said some negative things about Glenn, uh, as far as alcohol is concerned. Um, Ian Hill has said some things about, you know, look, we have, we have our guitar player. You know, we don't need to to go back to to Ken. You know, Ken wants to do this and Ken wants to do that, but we have our guy. You know, so I'm we're not going to get rid of our guy just to bring Ken back. It's, so they're very happy with Richie as a band. That's great. You know, and I've seen Judas Priest. And oddly enough, I've seen Judas Priest without their two guitar players. I mean, I saw them with Richie. And uh, playing in Glenn's place was Andy Sneap, who produced the the Firepower album. Um, K, uh, Glenn did come out for encores, which was cool, you know. Um, but at the same time, it wasn't it wasn't KK and it wasn't Glenn. But at the same time, you can't tell when you're listening to it and you got that the the metal god singing. It sounds great. And Scott Travis banging away at the drums and Ian Hill. It was Judas Priest can't you can't deny it so the the weird thing to me about the whole kk and kk's priest thing is as a as an artist you can choose to do one of two things kk could have come out and said okay you know what i'm going to put together my own band i'm going to have tim ripper owens be the singer I'm going to have Les Binks be my drummer and we're going to play some new songs and we're going to play some priest songs. But why in the world does he have to call it KK's priest? You know, that's the part where you're like, all right, dude, stop, you know, call it anything you want. But why do you have to call it KK's priest? First of all, you're putting your name in it, which is kind of goofy to begin with. And then you're just using half of your old band's name. Come on, be original. If you were, if you're the guy who created all these, be original. You know, you didn't see, yeah, you didn't see I mean, Halford. You know, you know, most of the time they're going to be playing Judas Priest music, right? But you didn't He's see Halford do that. Songs. You know, Halford didn't go out because, there and say because Halford was was reestablishing himself and changing things, and he didn't want to do the same stuff he was doing. He left, he he left essentially, or, or went on hiatus with the band because he wanted to do something different. You know, and and so they're also at different stages of their career. I mean, Halford left Judas Priest when he was still a pretty young man. These guys are not young men anymore. So 
you know, I get where KK's coming from, and I get, you know, the the there's there's a certain amount of heartbreak there that I that I'm assuming goes into the decision to continue on as KK's priest, right? He's you know he feels like he owns Judas Priest as much as they do, so he wants to use that name. It you know I I have a hard time criticizing him too much over it because it is a raw deal, but at the same time he's the one who chose to leave the band. So there's again there's that gray area there, and you wish they could kind of come to terms and figure things out, but it is what it is. They're you know they're happy with Richie and what he brings to the band and. They've put out some good music since, so I can't really fault either side. Yeah, I, I don't fault Judas Priest whatsoever. Um, you know, and I don't fault KK for leaving for the reasons that he feels he had he had to leave. You know what? You do what you gotta do for yourself. And I get that. You know. Yeah. I just it's to me as a as a fan, yeah, you want him to play, you want him to be out there and I mean he didn't play a gig for ten years, not until twenty nineteen. Yeah. And that's fine if that if he he was retired that's what he did you know but then he got the bug back okay great but we all know who KK Downing is why does he have to then put first of all his name in the project like you know other artists okay I mean that's a that's a real small gripe because other artists have done it J- the Joe Perry project Smith and Cotton okay that's fine. Okay. I mean, we just mentioned Jack Russell. Right, Jack Russell's great wife. Great wife. You know, exactly. You know that those those types of things. But in that particular case, he has to do it for legal reasons because he wants to yeah. be great white. I get that. Riley's L.A. Guns. That's a different story. Those are for legal reasons. There's nothing legal. You know, he didn't go to Judas Priest and say, "Okay, you know, I want to keep the Judas Priest name." You know, so that's what they gave him. No, it wasn't like that. He just like, I'm just going to be KK's priest. Okay. Yeah. Um. So I, I just think he could have easily come up with a name if he wanted to go with a priest name. He could have easily said, you know, uh, we're going to be the Rippers because shit, you know, they've got Tim the Ripper Owens, which I thought was a weird thing to begin with as well because you know of the whole Judas Priest connection. Um, but you know, he could have done anything. They could have called themselves, uh, you know, what you know, heavy duty, and that would have been, you know some connection to priest anything but straight up half the name is kind of weird to me and you know i i i tend to be critical uh i love all these guys i mean you know some people are going to listen to this and say okay well you know kenneth dean is sitting there and he's just bagging on all these artists yes i am but at the same time, at the end of the day, I'm going to listen to a lot of these artists. I'm going to listen to a lot of these songs, and I'm going to enjoy them because that's what I like. I like heavy metal. I like hard rock. I like all these artists. Okay, but you know, at the same time, I have every right to sit there and say, you know what, this guy's being foolish, or this guy's doing the wrong thing. That's my opinion. This is an opinion show. You know what? It, it, that's just what we do. But at the end of the day, we love all these artists, we love all these people, and we love all this music. You know, sometimes we want things to be a certain way and then not. We can't control it, but I could definitely speak my mind about it if I want to. <laughs> so, KK, yes, I love you. Just come on, come up with a different name. <laughs> you know? All right. So, that brings to the end to us bagging on all these artists for today <laughs> for today um so 
again, like I said, we, we love these guys. You know, we just, you know, like Quiet Riot just needs to put it to bed. But, you know, hey, can't can't fault a guy for trying to make money and, and, and you know, keep his living going. I'm not going to take that away from him. That's how they can do their living. You do their living. Um, we love them all. So that's the end of for, for this segment. We're going to now go to the big four, and we're doing our big four Skid Row songs. All right. Well, I went last week. Why don't you go first this week? All right. I will do that. All right. So, um, this is this is was a little difficult for me, but at the same time, it was a little easy for me. Um, there's not a lot of songs to choose from. You know, there's three albums worth, but at the same time, one of those albums was not really that good. The second album was good, but not as good as the first album. But I tried to be, you know diplomatic as much as I could with this but it only it came down to two albums so my number four song is the first song other than youth and the the youth gone wild uh that was a big hit on mtv this is the first song that I heard because when I picked up the cd you, you throw it in the first song that pops up is the first song in the album and it was big guns and that is a really cool song I mean the whole album is awesome but that is to me is a really really cool song I like that song a lot. That's my number four song. My number three is the second album. It's the title track. It's Slave to the Grind. That is a really cool song. And that is actually a Sebastian Bach co-written song. So we'll give him that much. <laughs> um, it was. Uh, it's a really cool song. I mean, the first two songs on, on, on Slave to the Grind were really, really good. And that was my number three song. My number two song, yes, it was their biggest hit. Yes, it was what established them and it's probably what closes out their shows i don't i'm not sure but number two for me is youth gone wild it it said everything that needed to be said at the time at that age you know i believe i was 20 years old at the time when that song came out and i was still dealing with a lot of attitude um and and negativity to to my past life in new york and my new life in florida so it was uh it was a, definitely the right song at the right time for me. And number one, off of Slave to the Grind, this song is one of the heaviest songs I know. I love it. Every time I hear it, I crank it up past 11 if I could. Monkey Business. That song rules to me. That to me is an amazingly good song. I love it. There you go. Nice. It's a, it's a good list. All right. Um, I mean, we've got a little bit of overlap, but uh, mine is, is definitely different. And it starts off with Bonehead off of Subhuman Race. Um, I am a fan of all three of the uh, Sebastian era Skid Row albums. I know Subhuman Race is not as catchy as the other two, uh, but I still think it's a good album. It's it's heavier. It's a little darker. And Bonehead, if you haven't listened to it, give it a second listen because it is an awesome track. Um, and it's it's very heavy if you like that end of their spectrum. Um, my, sec- or my number three is I Remember You off of Skid Row. I'm not a big guy for ballads in any way, but I love that song. It's so good. The the uh, the way that Sebastian sings the song, um, the 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 guitar solo, everything about it, it's just a really good track, and I think it's deserving to be in the big four. 
Um, my number two is Youth Gone Wild. You know, kind of the same thing you said. Like, I, I remember listening to this song when I was a kid. I remember listening to it in high school, college, and having that same reaction and just feeling like, you know, this is this is an anthem of, of being a kid growing up. And um, I, re- I also have a kind of a funny story about the song. Uh, so I was I was driving with a friend and we were we were, you know, looking you know, on the side of the road. And there was this this kid that was walking. And as the song started, he perfectly in time and could not have possibly heard what was, you know, inside my car, but perfectly in time started jogging to the song. And it was just exactly to the rhythm and both of us just died laughing when we saw it because it was it was almost like we were out the window watching an 80s music video (laughs) (laughs) and uh, my number one is from my favorite skid row album i know you said that you didn't like it as much as the first album but uh it's slave to the grind off of slave to the grind you know that album starts off with monkey business and it just kicks more and more ass as it goes and i like that that skid row got heavier with their second album um and i love slave to the grind i think it's i think it's one of their best if not their best track and i i just it, it's got to be my, my number one fair enough i like the list um i i cannot say uh, that I have listened to Bonehead in the last however many years since it came out. I probably listened to the album when it first came out real briefly and mm-hmm. and have tucked it away neatly. I listened to some of the songs that were on um, uh, their greatest hits that were remixed. I don't know if that was on there, but I didn't listen to everything. So it was one of those things where it just, Skid Row was so far off my radar at that point because of everything that was going down that I'm like, eh. So I never really got into it. Yeah, I understand. I mean, they're—that's th- th- the tragedy of the band is that they were excellent, but just their career derailed. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. All right. Well, that's our big four for tonight. Big four Skid Row songs. Chris, let them know what's up. All right. Well, as you said, that's the end of today's episode. Remember, if you like what you heard today, be sure to check us out on social media and leave us a comment. Make sure to tune into the next episode when we spark up another exciting metal debate. On behalf of Kenneth Dean and myself, stay safe. Remember, always turn it up to 11. See ya.